morning. We pray, Father, that in the time that we share from this moment on, that we would hear not just the words of a preacher, but your spirit would speak deeply to our hearts. Lord Jesus, we've come to encounter you. We pray that you'd use these offerings through vessels of clay somehow to make yourself real to us. Come, Holy Spirit. Make an appointment with each of our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning to everybody. Uh, I appreciate the trustees for, for scrambling and volunteers in our midst to make it tolerable in here today, and I, I hope that uh, you can stand a, a little bit uh, extra warmth. I'm actually feeling pretty good. I, I don't know. Is, is everybody okay out there? You're doing okay? Very good. Well, let's start this morning in our scripture itself, okay, and we'll use that as kind of the anchor for all that we say. Uh, in Philippians chapter 3, we're continuing in this book uh, with the idea of, of keeping, uh, keeping our peace, keeping our joy, um, and to this morning, keeping pace. I, before I read it, when I, when I was in uh, 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 college at Oral Roberts, uh, one of the things that Oral Roberts prided itself on then at that time was kind of being at the head of the game when it came to physical fitness of their student body. You know, we were, we were the whole man school, you know, mind, body, and spirit. That was on the seal out front. I'm not losing my mind. That's just, and and we, we had to get so many aerobic points every week, you know. Uh, oral was about making lean, mean Christians, you know. So we, we had to get in so many aerobic points every week. And they had this track, this indoor track. You had no excuse. Even if it was raining, you had a place that you could go run. And on that track, what was technologically advanced about it was it had pacing lights on the ceiling. I thought that was the coolest thing I'd ever seen when I was a junior high kid. And uh, I, I, would, I would go up there, and I would try to keep up with the pacing lights. Now, of course, these were college-age kids at the time, and uh, they could run much faster than, than I could as a junior high kid, but I would try to keep up with those pacing. Have you ever seen those kind of things? They're, they're on the ceiling, and they blink red as you go around the track. And if you'll keep up with the blinking of the light just ahead of you, you'll be right on pace. I had no idea how often when I run, I change pace. That the red light would go out in front of me, and I'd catch back up to it, and then it'd go behind me, and then it'd go, oh, there it is again. <laughs> you know? And I would try to keep up with those pacing lights. It's natural for us to just give in to our own rhythms, give in to our own feelings. But if the if the scriptures live within us, if the Spirit is our source, if we help one another, we can keep pace in this exercise of working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And Paul has just talked about one of the first places you go if you're going to work that out, and that is to the God, he says, who is in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. So last week we talked about basically becoming athletes in intimacy with Jesus. That, that like an athlete, an Olympic athlete trains to, to be at his peak condition. Uh, Paul is talking about that same kind of Olympic effort pursuit in pressing on. This one thing I do, I press on 
toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he starts in this verse, uh, verse 15. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. What attitude is that? The attitude is that pressing on, investing in the moment, uh, living, for, living in today with an eternal sense of values. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if anything you have, a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. Now that's where we stopped last week, by looking inward to where our hearts were, where we in a posture of pressing on in our relationship with Jesus. He goes on in verse 16. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, jo uh, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern that you have in us. For many walk, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Keep pace. Uh, that's what we're, we're talking about this morning. How is it that we keep pace in this, this life, this walk of a Christian uh, that lives out in the way we love others, this loving relationship that we're always drinking from uh, with our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks, first of all, about perfection. Let those, as many as who are perfect. How many of you would claim that this morning? That's kind of what I thought. I'm raising my hand only, only as an example. If, if, if we're perfect, we're perfect in Christ. But most of us are a long way from perfect in our performance. Right? And he's talking about this kind of perfection that it, it, it's not perfect in the sense that it's merely flawless. It's teleos. It means to be fully matured, to be completely trained. It's, it's that athlete that's in their peak condition, right? It's not something you arrive at. It's an con ongoing condition kind of thing. If you've, if you've developed as an athlete in intimacy with Christ, if you're in peak condition... Uh, have this attitude, this attitude of pressing on, and if anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that to you also. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. So what he's saying is, if you consider yourself mature, don't consider yourself having arrived. You still have a race to run. Do you understand what he's saying? Continue to have this attitude inside you of this athlete that's absolutely pressing towards the finish line, right? Um, however, let us keep living to that sta standard. And then he starts to tell us how we do it. What's the next word there? The first word in, t in verse 17. Brothers. Brethren. Family of God. Sistren. Okay? Join us, uh, join, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern uh, that you have in us. 
He's calling us to this kind of uh, rigor together, not as individuals, but, but actually together. And then he goes on to say what that doesn't look like. For many walk, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. And I wouldn't want that ever to be said of me. But if you think when Paul is talking about being enemies of the cross of Christ, that he is talking about those who are outside the fellowship, those that have yet to know him, you're missing the point. These enemies are not enemies of Paul. They are the friends of Paul. But those who are the friends of Paul, did you catch it? He now tells them even weeping that some are enemies of the cross of Christ. How, how, how do you do that? How could you be a Christian, uh, consider yourself an insider in the church and in God's family, and be an enemy of the cross of Christ? My friends, the, the cross of Christ has an intention. It has an agenda. And if we don't allow that agenda to be appropriated in our own lives, if we don't participate with it, expand on it, be in, in concert with it, we, in effect, resist it, hold it back. So he says, let this salvation... Uh, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you decide instead of working out your salvation with fear and trembling, you're just going to coast, then you've become an enemy, though you didn't intend to, of the cross of Christ, which has an agenda still to, to work in your own heart and in your own life. Are you with me? Uh, that's how we become enemies of the cross of Christ. This is not a word to outsiders. It's a painful, perhaps, word to those of us who are insiders. Paul's saying you still ought to be progressing in your Christian life. You still ought to be a propagator of the faith. You still ought to be one that's a part of the body of Christ, not only in belonging, but also in believing and in mission into the world. Brethren, join us in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. That's pretty bold. In fact, most of you would think I was pretty presumptuous and conceited probably to tell you, hey, if you want to be a real quick Christian, follow my example. If that makes you a little nervous, it ought to, because I'm far from perfect. Right? So why would Paul tell us that? Did, did, did he think highly of himself? He called himself the chief of sinners. He was given us prescription, not only for how we survive as Christians, but how we thrive as Christians. And, and it's not by running as an individual, as I would have up in the aerobic center at ORU, watching my own pacing light. How, how many of you have ever noticed as you were walking through life a pacing light? They don't exist in this world. And so we have to do it old school, like, like the runners back then in the Olympics and like the runners still do today. We pace ourselves by those who share that pace around us. Last week, we talked about looking in. Am I leaning into life with all my heart to honor Christ? This week's about looking around. Who's my running partner? How can we strengthen one another to live into this? Because all of us have a tendency within our own natural heart to respond to the gospel or not to respond to the gospel based on our nature 
rather than on the call of the Holy Spirit in our life. It's called our flesh. And all of us struggle with it. And so when this talks about those who are enemies of the cross of Christ, I don't want it to scare you that you might see yourself in this description. For most of us, that's probably just being honest. Now, let's talk about how he describes those that are enemies of the cross. Let's just take it phrase by phrase. He says that their end is their destruction. Their end is their destruction. He says their master is their appetite, that their glory is their shame, and that their mind is focused, fixed on earthly things. Who, who, is it, who is it that pursues a path whose end uh, is destruction? That seems crazy. The only person who follows a path that they know goes over a cliff is someone's not paying attention to where they're going. Are you with me? And, and so there are those that are the enemies of, cro- of, of the cross that are so consumed with what it's, what's in it for them today. How can they live to have an advantage for themselves, right? That they forget the end to which their life is going. Someday we're going to stand before Christ. And he's going to say over our lives, well done, good and faithful servant. Or he might just say, well Their end is, is their destruction. In, in other words, they don't think about the ends. They don't think about ultimate realities. They don't think about aligning their lives with God. We, even as Christians, can get forgetful of living with an eternal perspective. That's what he's talking about. Whose master is their own appetite. They're focused on their personal exult, exultation or their own self-righteousness. Their master is their appetite. They follow their feelings rather than living out their faith. They glory in their shame. Why? Because our, shame, our, our glory is our own self-righteousness. Look at me. Right? And Jesus is making the point, Paul is making the point that Jesus is our righteousness. That he would trade all of his claims on righteousness to know Jesus Christ. To know his grace as being what justifies him before God instead of his own self-righteousness. So their master is their appetite, their follow their feelings, their glory is their shame. They look to their own self-righteousness to justify themselves before God instead of what Jesus Christ has done for them. Their mind is earthly focused. Uh, and that's so easy to do. I got a, uh, I got a letter from a friend in um, Nepal this last week. His name's Titus. And, uh, you know, Titus is one of the, the pastors that, uh, when several of us have gone over there and ministered to those pastors, he was one in that group both times. Uh, Titus is a great guy. Beautiful little wife. They live in downtown Kathmandu in a little two- or three-room apartment, and one of the rooms is the sanctuary for the church that they host right off of the street. Over the last several years, it's been flooded several times when Kathmandu had its rainy season. Uh, and, and when they do church, um, about everyone in this middle section fits in the room the size of our sound booth. That's how they do church. 
It's wall-to-wall people. Uh, they separated up, women on one side, guys on the other, but you're on the floor like this, just in each other's lap. You know, we, we, we worry about five degrees of temperature. Maybe that happened this morning on purpose. I don't know. But I was amazed at their fervor for the Lord, their authentic walk as Christians with one another. He just sent me a letter. And he said, we, we have an opportunity, and Kathmandu rarely is land available, and we've secured land. And though we've secured land, the, the uh, price to actually build a simple room that would host 100 people is, is beyond our capacity. So we're helping, asking help from our friends around the world. And he says in the letter exactly what it will cost to build this one-room church. And uh, it was $10,000. And I, 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 I'm not the kind of person that just has $10,000 that I can write at, out as, in a check today. Maybe some of us do, and that's great. But, but $10,000 is nothing to sneeze at. You know, the garage sale bought, brought in 3000 yesterday. But if, if I am not earthly-minded, if I'm not just focused on myself, if I'm just not concerned about my appetites and so forth, uh, one air conditioning unit on this building would cost more to replace than it would cost to build that church. And as someone who's going to stand before Jesus someday and have been an American all my life, and, and maybe I could pretend I don't see that, but... Titus is now a friend on the other side of the world and a Christian brother. I, I find myself feeling a need, is your heart this way, to live a little more simply so that someone else can simply live. There's something about the Christian mindset when you're tied in intimacy to God that can see a person even on the other side of the world. Some of you, a person that you've never met, but is nevertheless your brother in Christ as someone who is a part of the family, see? And though we are thousands of miles away, you can feel their struggle. <laughs> Maybe this morning you can feel the heat of the person sitting next to them as they worship. But if we're someone who's deeply in intimacy with Christ, it gives us a different view for everyone around us. It's hard to pass by the homeless person on the corner when in your morning devotions you worship one without a place to lay his head. When our heart becomes as his heart for the people around us, something of us gets transformed. And if we do not allow God to start working that transformation in our heart, Paul is saying we're enemies of the cross of Christ. We're not letting the cross have its effect in our lives so it can have its effect through our lives. I, I wanted to dismiss this and work past it quickly as a, as a message that, that really didn't have a whole lot to do with us. And it's amazing how the scriptures come alive, isn't it? He, he says that if we're going to live this kind of well-paced life towards heaven... If we're going to run in step with the Spirit, since all that is pretty much invisible, 
the best way to keep pace is not by some pace light above our head, but by watching those who share that conviction and who are willing to run with us. Those who will join together with us in a home team. Those who have joined together with us in, a, in a, an AA group that meets here at the church, or an Al-Anon group, or a grief share group, that, that we might work through, work out our salvation by pacing our pro- progress with one another. But to do that has to have this, this heart of first longing for intimacy with Jesus. And then, that, then out of that comes this transformed view towards one another and how we live this out in our world. And uh, he describes this as being citizens of heaven. And, and it's interesting that he says this to the Philippians. Let me dig into this just a little bit. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state, this is when Jesus comes again, into conformity with the body of His glory. He's going to glorify us by the exertion of the power that He has as Lord of the universe to subject all things to Himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's interesting that He says that to the Philippians. (laughs) If you read back in Acts chapter 16, when Paul first came to Philippi, those who were with him describe Philippi as this, no insignificant colony of Rome. The town of Philippi was named for Alexander the Great's father. But sometime after that, it was made a Roman colony. And that has a a very specific uh, idea about it. When the, when the Romans wanted to extend their empire, they would often choose a strategic military city, a location that was strategic in their kingdom. And there in that place, they would send a colony, a hundred retiring soldiers, the best of the best from Caesar's army. They'd served 21 years. And after 21 years, They were eligible to be a family that could then be a part of a colonizing effort. And those hundred soldiers with their family would go out to this outpost. Philippi stood as a land bridge between Europe and Asia. It was a very strategic point. And those hundred families would go there as as ambassadors of Rome, really. And they would go to that place not only just to live there and to be a military anchor, but to transform the culture into everything Roman. All of their government there would be a Roman-style government. Their theater events would be a a, a Roman-style theater. Everything that happened in that town would be a little picture of Rome far away from Rome itself. And after these 21 years of first being faithful to Caesar... Then you were this agent that could be trusted to be an agent of Rome in the world wherever you were planted in this colony. You follow me? Now, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying that you are citizens of heaven. Who rules heaven? It's not Caesar. He's saying because of your proven faithfulness, because you're a person that that seeks out intimacy with God, God has a strategic assignment for you in this world. 
He would use you as one of his ambassadors to colonize this world, not with the values of the earth, but with the values of heaven. See? You're his colony. Now, the Romans were very, very proud of being Roman. In fact, the reason that Paul got beat up and thrown into jail in Philippi was because he wasn't understood to be a Roman. They thought he was a Jew because he was talking about Jewish law and how Jesus sets people free from it, right? And so they thought he was a Jew, and, and the Romans that were there saw that as a threat to their Roman culture, and they beat him to within an inch of a life, his life and threw him in prison. But then what happens? After he's there a day and an earthquake happens and he's released, then they say, they find out that he's a Roman and they realize that he's got Roman rights. We've messed up. We have flogged the wrong guy. We're, we're in trouble. And, and, and so they said, please, please go out of town. And what does Paul say? He says, I'm not going anywhere. If they flogged me, a Roman citizen, which he was, because he was from Tarsus, he was half Greek, half Jew, he if they flog me a Roman citizen, they can come here and tell me face to face that they blew it and release me. He understood the ways of Rome. He understood that he was in a Roman colony. He was very much aware of that. And so he uses this phrase to say, we are now citizens of heaven, but we don't live there. We, we live in our own strategic places of assignment, in your family, in your business, in your school in your community. We, we are a colonizing group that has learned from our faithfulness to our Lord what His heart is so that we can live it out in any worldly place in which we live. Does that make sense? You, you are citizens of heaven. Now, just notice this. This is what it means to be an enemy of the cross. You don't think about your end and it being destruction. You're, you're mastered by your appetite. Your glory is your shame. And, and your mind is earthly focused. And then in the very next verses, he contrasts that with those who do have this right. Next frame, please. Next slide. If we can bring all those up, please. Oh, now before you go through, go, go back a couple. Now this, if you're running a race, this is how it often looks if you're in it right? There's just a string of runners. But if you've ever noticed how the Olympics, the people who really can run well and usually win are, they're usually this group, this next group. They're, they're, in, they're pacing each other. They're in this bunch. They're, they're pushing each other to do their best. They're keeping pace with one another. They're, and those guys, they're keeping pace with one another. They're, they're even in that group uh, somehow, like the, like the geese, uh, what, what do you call it? When you draft behind someone, almost, right? They're, they're keeping pace. I don't know much about running. I'm looking at a great runner right here as she's laughing at me. But, but, th but this, is, this is how it works, right? We, we pace with one another. And there, there's another group, all bunched together. I never understood that. That seems a very uncomfortable way to run. But it's a very wise way to run if you're going to run at your best and run into the end to win. So here it is. Not a pacing light, but as citizens of heaven, we look to one another to reinforce the values of heaven in this earthly realm. So he describes us then, what we're leaning into as those who are not mindless of our end, but those who live 
in light of that end, always eagerly awaiting a Savior. You know, I, I don't think Paul was, he was a wickedly smart dude, if that's the right word. Uh, but, but this kind of balance, this, this kind of symmetry in Scripture is, is the kind of stuff that makes me think that this has got to be divinely inspired. And instead of uh, being mindless of your end and en enjoying the now, regardless of what the consequences are, we are those who are eagerly awaiting a Savior. What, what does that mean? Back, Roman colonies were the, uh, here's another thing about Roman colonies. They were the focal points from which the ancient Roman roads, which were famous for the way they connected that part of the world, the Roman roads would run from colony to colony. Now what that meant is that from colony to colony, was a military reinforced group that could come to your rescue at any time things were going bad. And so not only would you live boldly as Romans, but you could live boldly with absolute confidence knowing that anyone who took you on would soon face the wrath of all that Caesar had to offer. We live in this world eagerly awaiting a Savior. Which means not only are we awaiting his second coming, which I think is indicated here, but, but we wait for him in each moment to be our deliverer, to be our strength, to be our rewarder, to be our joy, to be our peace. We eagerly await a Savior. He is what transforms all of this circumstance into something that we can still have peace and joy and life about. We eagerly wait a Savior. Where before the Master was their appetite, he uses the word Lord here for Jesus. Our Master is the Lord Jesus. In the previous group, their glory is their shame. In this verse, our glory is given. We don't earn it for ourselves who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. This is not something that we actively do. This is something that we... What's the verb tense here, Jeff? When, when you don't do it, it's done unto you. Passive. Passive what? It's the passive voice. That's what it is. It's the passive voice. It's not something you do. It's something that's done to you. For us, our glory is always a gift. And any glory that we have that we've built up of our own in this life, like Paul has just said in the previous passage, is a pile of poo compared to the greater prize of knowing Jesus Christ our Lord. Our Master is our Lord, our glory is given, and our mind is focused on heavenly things. That doesn't mean that we walk around in a cloud. That means that we see the eternal value and pursue it in every opportunity. So now we live as those who are transforming culture. Now we live as those who are, have an opportunity to populate heaven. Now. Because of what we look forward to, we're more sensitive to how we run in the here and the now. So here, here's two examples. I mean, I want to contrast this for you. When it comes to our awareness of eternal things, do we ignore it? Or do we await it? If you were to place that 1 to 10 on a spectrum, ignoring it over here, awaiting it over there, 
Where is your consciousness along that spectrum? Are you an ignorer or are you an awaiter? When it comes to knowing the master of your own soul, is your master the Lord Jesus Christ or is your master your own flesh and your own feelings? When it comes to your glory, is it all about you? Is the spotlight on yourself in your own mind? Or is the greater glory, if you have the opportunity to brag, would you brag on Jesus before you brag on yourself? What's your mind? Do you consider yourself a citizen of Broken Arrow? Or a citizen of heaven? Are you living a missionary's and ambassador's existence for heaven in this place where you live now? Or are you a Broken Arrow citizen just awaiting heaven to come? There's a vast, vast difference. This morning, that's the choice, I think, that's before us. That's the question to be answered. Which mindset do we have? Are we enemies of the cross? Or are we living as citizens, citizens of heaven? Are we running alone? Or are we finding partners in the body of Christ that help us keep pace with the Spirit in our own hearts and lives, help us live it out? There was an old revival many, many years ago, and it had worked up to a feverish pace, and the pastor invited someone he knew would draw even a greater crowd. It was a, a great organist in the area, and uh, he invited this really master, maestro to come in and play, and sure enough, a bunch of people showed up, and that night he was all proud of himself, you know, in his big black coat, and sat down at the organ and started to play, and people thought it was glorious, broke out into applause in the middle of his performance. But this is one of these old-timey churches with an old-timey organ. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't electric or anything. It was one of those that y you had to work a bellows to work the sound through the instrument. You know what I'm talking about? One of the woof, woof, and it would go through the, the organ, and, and the, the sound would be glorious, you know. And they'd, they'd gotten this little kid, Jimmy. He was 11 years old to be the one that worked the bellows. And they had said so much about the, the great organ player, and he was just drinking in his glory. Everybody thought he was wonderful. The crowd was up, and, and, and it came to the end of the service then. And uh, uh, again, the pastor gave an introduction to the grand organist, and he rose and made his bows and sat down at his organ and raised his hands in the air and put his hands down on the keys, and nothing happened. Nothing happened. The pastor realized something was wrong and maybe Jimmy was asleep, so he said in, in even a louder voice, and now our great organ player will play the closing uh, anthem of our revival. Everyone stand as we listen to this glorious anthem. It was all about the guy at the keys. And at that very moment, little Jimmy put his head around the corner and shared especially with the organist and with everyone there. Say we, mister. Say we. <laughs> we'll play. Right? That's the heart of the body of Christ. And we rode. Right? 
and we overcame. And we lifted one another up. And we helped one another keep pace when we were pressing forward in the mission and when we were being crushed by the world around us. Many years ago, people saw an amazing race. And in that race, the, the runners had lined up. It was just a 100-yard dash. And the gun went off, and they jumped out of their starting blocks, and they started down the lanes towards victory. And then one of those, in one of those lanes, tripped and fell and just rolled end over end, skinning their knees and so forth on the track. And everyone who had seen a race before, they'd seen all kinds of races in the world, but they'd never seen a race like this one was going to be run. Everyone would have just run to the finish. But in this particular race, when that runner went down, because it was the Special Olympics, there was a different heart in the runners. They had pulled for one another. They had helped one another along. And when that first runner went down, the one who was in the lead saw him out of the corner of his eye, slowed and stopped, and turned around and went back to his friend. The others saw the lead runner turn and wondered what was going on. They turned and saw their friend still on the track. And they ran back and they got that friend and they, they picked him up. <laughs> and there's never been a finish like this. They each held hands with one another. And they ran down the track and they crossed the line of victory together. That's a picture of the body of Christ. That's a picture of who we're called to be. No matter how we fall in this world, we will help each other up. No matter how, how difficult it gets, we will always be ambassadors for the kingdom of God and for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll always know that the well of that kind of commitment is not something that's born out of our greater effort or even just our cheering on of one another. It's born out of being an athlete in intimacy with Jesus Christ, of knowing him so that he becomes the one that we want to please among everyone else. We may be confused about our immigration policies in this country at this time, but heaven has never been confused. <laughs> I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the only passport that you'll ever need to walk with God in the life to come and to walk with God here. Would this morning, would you choose to be an athlete in intimacy with Jesus? I'm not just talking about making the decision for heaven. I'm talking about inviting the host of heaven to live in your life here. That's the ticket. That's what makes each of us a citizen or not. It's all about Jesus. He gets the spotlight. Not our own appetites, not our own glory. It's all a glory that's given. And we're happy to receive that and give all the glory back to Him. It's the greatest gift that you'll ever receive. And it's available to you this morning. Don't leave this place running alone. You don't have to. Christ has called you to himself. And if you'll receive him, you'll get a whole family thrown in. What is it, Lord? What is it that, that we who have left everything receive from you? The disciples asked. And he said, there's not a one of you that's left father or mother or, or home that won't in this life, he wasn't talking about heaven, in this life receive manyfold brothers and sisters, family, 
We were meant to run together. If you're getting weary in the pace of life, let's run together. And the one who is the finisher of our faith will run with us. Lord Jesus, we invite you this morning to take up residence in our hearts all over again. For all the ways this morning that we might understand that we've been enemies of the cross of Christ. We haven't let it take its full effect in us. That we've fallen behind in our pace. That we're coasting. Father, help us in this place become partners with one another. Olympic-style runners. Help us to find a, play, a pace and help us to be that pack that runs in this moment in such a way that your victory is known in us. We ask it in the name of our Father, your Son, our Lord Jesus, sweet Holy Spirit. Blow through our lives, we pray. Give us a heart for you, Father, and be the wind in our sails from this day forward. Help us this next week as we come together to discover home teams, to find our pack, to run with, to keep pace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.